from God today. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. If you're a member here and you've been for here a long, long time, many years, welcome. It's great to have you too. We're going to start things a little differently today. Uh, you know, before we get into our, our talk on sit with me, uh, for those of you who don't know, we're a part of a, a larger family, a larger church in the greater Los Angeles area. And, and our, our overarch name is the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. And we are a part of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ, and we're known here locally as the Lighthouse Church of Christ. But we're a, we're a family, okay? And, and we're one church over this whole area. If you can see this, all the way out to Santa Barbara, all the way out to Palm Desert, and everything in between. This is where services are going on this morning in the name of Jesus. There's a, there's a verse here that uh, is in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part of the body is honored, then every part rejoices with it. Uh, this week, it was a pretty hard week. Uh, one of our, uh, what we would call regional leaders that oversees a geographic area passed away this week. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that uh, Kevin Maines had a massive heart attack uh, two Saturdays ago, and uh, he never recovered from that and passed away on Thursday. Uh, this morning as we meet, the Orange County Church of Christ is meeting in their building in uh, Lake Forest. And let me just share with you, it's a heavy morning for them, because uh, basically he does what I do uh, for the region. Him and I are kind of peers in, in our responsibilities, and, and he's a great, great friend, uh, has been a great friend for many years. Uh, we work together helping Mexico and Central America, and uh, I'm going to miss Kevin. But I wanted us uh, to remember Kevin this morning and remember his family, because as you can imagine, uh, he's gone on ahead to be with the Lord. And for that, we're grateful. And this verse uh, is, really, is really great where, uh, you know, Jesus turns to the servant and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in what I've asked you to do. And Kevin fits that category. But he's, he's going to be away from his wife and his two children and his grandchildren. And that's hard. Uh, he's going to be away from a lot of friends uh, in Orange County. And the Orange County right now, they're without a, 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 a lead minister. And I'm sure someone's going to fill that responsibility. But uh, I wanted us to, to, to stop this morning and say a prayer for the Maine's family. Because uh, we, we, we feel that. We feel with them. We're, we're a brotherhood. We're a, a, a fellowship where we feel things together. And I want to encourage you this week to pray uh, for the Maine's family in the Orange County region. So let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word that teaches us to feel pain when people feel pain. It's so easy for us to remove ourselves from the sufferings of others. But Jesus teaches us, uh, the Apostle Paul teaches us to mourn with those who mourn. And Father, this morning we mourn with the Orange County region. Uh, we feel their loss, we feel their pain. And uh, together as one in the name of Jesus, we want to pray for Mary Maines, that you'll wrap your arms around her, comfort her, 
We want you to, Father, to, to wrap your arms around Stuart and Olivia, Ashley and Chaz and, and their, their children. God, we just ask you to comfort them, be with them. Uh, God, we don't know how long we have here, but when someone goes, uh, we know that uh, we feel the loss. Father, help us all to finish the race and be with Kevin and celebrate all this thing, these things that we got to do together. We love you, God. Thank you for Kevin's life, and we just pray you'll continue to use his, his example uh, in, in our lives. We love you. Hear this prayer, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, getting back to our, our series, this whole, this whole talk and topic that we've talking about, sit with me. You know, Kevin was an incredible example. Uh, next Saturday, I believe, is going to be his memorial service. I promise you there's going to be lots and lots of people at his funeral who Kevin sat with. I mean, a lot of people. Kevin was known for sitting with people face-to-face, and, and sharing with them the scriptures, helping people get a relationship with Jesus. And I admired Kevin for that. He uh, really called me higher in his personal example, all the way back when he lived in, uh, in Palos Verdes. And he would have these men's groups in the morning, early morning, 6 a.m., and they would get together and he would meet with men that would show up. And uh, so, so powerful. But this whole idea that we've been talking about is, is our calling as a church. And as you saw in the intro video, it, it's such a small thing, but our world is so lonely. And as followers of Jesus, you and I can make a difference in sitting with people and touching their lives, bringing them to a connection that they need, and that is with Jesus. And so we've been talking about that, but in order to do that, we realized this year, for the first four months, we, we want one thing, God, increase our faith. Increase our faith, because sometimes we don't feel our faith is, is where we need to be. And so we've gone through this, these four steps of, of faith, and we're going to do seven. And, and week one, we talked about just, just raising your hands and saying, God, increase my faith. And week two, we talked about the stones of remembrance. Mike talked about that. Week three, we talked about digging deeper in the Word. And last week, we talked about persevere with the new me. Don't get weary with the old you. And if you missed any of these, they're on our website, our, our newly edited website. Uh, they're, they're working on it, but it's, it's there. And you can also go to our YouTube channel. Today we're going to talk about sports, obviously, right? You see these guys walking around in their jerseys. But we're going to talk about, in a spiritual sense, conversion. Conversion. And, and today we're going to talk about conversion as a team sport. It's a team sport. And I hope that you can see the pattern in the way God works when he brings people to Jesus, into a relationship with Jesus. It's a team sport. It's not tennis. It's not golf. It's not wrestling. Although you're part of a team, you're on your own when you're in the arena. It's not like that. And we're not alone. We get to be a part of a team. And today we're going to look at the... the in my opinion, the most important conversion in the, in the history of Christianity. And it's by far one of the evidences that the gospel is so, so powerful and able to change people from where they are to where God wants them to be. 
Anybody have any idea the most historic conversion of all conversions in the New Testament? Any idea? Saul. Close. Close. Not Paul, but Saul. I want to tell you about Saul because Saul is so important in the Bible because he wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. So where would we be? I mean, literally, you would have to remove, and I got some problems with my Bible, but you you would have to take this section out of the New Testament, and that's a pretty big section. Not only that, where would the Gentile mission work be without the Apostle Paul? I could tell you where my faith would be without books like the Book of Romans. My faith would not be in a good spot. He's ministered to me over the years. He's ministered to churches. He's helped churches out of doctrinal crises because he's taught them it's more about Jesus than it is about us. And he taught us about suffering, but it all started with a connection. And it all started where Jesus intentionally included people. So let's go there and read the story. This is Luke's historical account as he interviewed Saul, then Paul, what happened? Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. What kind of guy are we talking about right here? And if you need a little bit more, the, these, it says murderous threats. He backed up what he said. One chapter previous, he was giving the approval as they stoned one of the leaders of the early church, Stephen. And he folded his arms and gave his approval for that assassination, essentially. He didn't stop in Jerusalem. He was what we would call a Christian hunter. He hunted followers of Jesus. He wasn't happy that everybody fled Jerusalem because of what he was doing. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to chase them. And I'm going to hunt them down. And I'm going to bring them back to Jerusalem. We're going to try them. And if they're found guilty, if they don't renounce their faith, I'm going to have them killed. It's a serious guy. And as you see here... You know, he's, he's still breathing out. You can just think of, imagine, like a, like a bull, you know, with his snort, just, just mad and furious and kicking up dust. This was Saul. And so he's going to Damascus, and something happened on the way to Damascus. As he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Here's an interesting question that Saul asks. Who are you, Lord? After all of his Bible study and all of his knowledge and his training, he's asking this question. Who are you? And and this is really important because you ask the question, did Saul have a relationship with the Lord? He did not. And as you're going to see later in the story, Another man was called by God as well, and there was a relationship. So he did not know the Lord in a relational sense. Verse 5, 
Jesus comes right out and says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So who heard the voice? Just Saul. There were other people there, but who heard God's, who heard Jesus' voice? Just Saul. Why is that? See, Jesus wants a relationship with individuals, and he calls people on an individual level. He may call groups of people, but the one who hears his voice is the one who's listening, and it's a personal calling saying, I want a relationship with you. I know there's a lot of people here today, but I want a relationship with you. And a lot of people may hear the sounds and, and see the noise and the lights. and the, I want it with you. And this is significant. Saul got up from the ground when, when he opened his eyes. He could not see. So they led him by the hand in Damascus. For three days he was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. Three days. You ever heard the phrase, blinded by the light? That's where this comes from. He was blinded by the light. And, and, and look at his reaction here. He can't find his way to Damascus by himself. He has to be helped. But what is his response? He did not eat or drink anything, even though they tried to encourage him. Hey, have some food. Here's some water. You got a drink. You're, 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 you're in a really delusional state right now. And he said, no, I can't eat anything. In three days is putting your body at risk, dehydration. If you go without food and water for three days, you could risk dying if you remain active. Why did he do that? This was more than an aha moment for Saul. You can imagine what's going on in his mind. Saul is realizing that everything he's done up to that point was completely wrong. In fact, he goes back just a few days earlier when they murdered Stephen and he heard Stephen shout out in a loud voice, Stephen said, and he looked up into heaven and he says, I see Jesus by the throne of heaven. And Saul realized Stephen was right. I just killed one of the Lord's servants. This was much more than an aha moment. This was a grounding. This was a humbling situation. So let me ask you a question. It took a lot to get Saul's attention, but what does God have to do? What does Jesus have to do to get our attention? What does... Because, you know, there's a number of us here in this room that we've had things happen, haven't we? We've had, we've had kind of close encounters. We've had events happen in our lives where things have happened, and we realize, man, God's trying to get my attention. He's trying to get me to take me from where I am to where he wants me to be. What does he have to do? That's a huge question. You know, I believe there are people here in this room today who God has been knocking on your door, and you want him to do more to get your attention. And let me just say this. 
You don't want God to go to great lengths to get your attention. You don't want that. And, and as followers of Jesus, we, we need to be, if you're a member of this church, you don't want God to go to great lengths to get your attention. You want to be ready, listening, waiting. You don't have to say very much, Lord. I get it. I'm ready. I'm listening. I'm going to respond quickly. I don't want to be a knucklehead. It's got to be knocked to the ground and have some catastrophe happen and go, oh, I guess God is trying to get me. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. But I got to be open with you guys. When I was 16 years old, God got my attention. A near-death experience. And it was all on me. And the sad part is, it wasn't enough. Because I didn't turn my life over until I was 21. And there's a reason for it. I wanted to make change, but there's a very specific reason why I didn't make that full change. But what does God have to do? We read on in the story, verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. This is significant. There's another person. And Jesus, Jesus could have instructed Saul exactly what he needed to do in that encounter, couldn't he have? Could have given him the studies and, and done the studies with himself. Okay, Jesus, what an honor to be called by Jesus. And Jesus studied the Bible with me. Jesus baptized me. If anybody ever tells you that, it's a, an alarming question that has to come to mind. Because there's no example, there's no example in the New Testament of somebody who comes to faith by themselves. And this is the, the apostle of all apostles, even him, needed somebody to connect with. Jesus says, I'm here, and I want you to change your life, but I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to meet somebody, and his name is Ananias. The Lord called Ananias in a vision. Ananias said, yes, Lord. Notice the difference. The Lord called Ananias, and Ananias goes, what? Who are you? No, he didn't. He said, yes, Lord, I'm standing at attention, and I know who you are. I have a relationship with you, and when you speak, I listen, and I answer. That's the kind of relationship that you and I need. It doesn't need to be a mystery. Speak, Lord, your servant waits. He answered, Lord, the Lord told him to go to the house of Judas on, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. You know, this, this street here, it exists today in the city of Damascus. It's still there from the east gate to the west gate. It has a different name. In fact, the name of the street is Darb el Moskim. But it's right there. This was a time and a place. We're not following, you know, fairy tales. We're following historical accounts of places and times and, and people. And he's praying there. Lord Ananias, now this is cool because, you know, there's a relationship, right? Lord Ananias, he is, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests and to arrest all, not some, all who call on your name. So Ananias raises his hand and said, hey, Lord, I got a little bit of a problem. You're asking me to go to the house of a terrorist, 
Literally, that's what we're talking about. He's a murderer, a hunter of Christians. You're asking me to go to the house of a terrorist, and he's got a list. I'm on that list. So he's got a problem. But I appreciate the Lord's determination. But the Lord said to Ananias, just go. I love that about the Lord. He just, I don't have a time for a long conversation. Just go. And what did he do? This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's got a special plan for Saul, and it's not all butterflies and flowers. It's going to be tough. In fact, it was one of the toughest recorded in history. But he's a chosen instrument. And so this trumps any personal issue that you might have with, hey, I don't know if, I, if I'm the one to reach out to this guy, and I don't know if, you know, what if, he, what if he doesn't like me? What if we don't get along? What if he harms me? What if he does something to me? He's open, right? But the Lord says, listen, this is more important. He's my chosen instrument. Then Ananias went. I love this. You know, he, he didn't continue there, you know, with the Lord, and that's really good. I want that heart. Don't hesitate. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, interesting that he now calls the hunter of Christians, calls him what? Why do you call him brother? It's not a little thing. Because God called him and God called Ananias. So we're both what? We're brothers. There's automatically a connection because of God. Heart to heart. Hey, you're my brother now because God told me to come to you and help you. The Lord, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road where you were coming, while you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. What do you see here as the pattern? Conversion is a team sport. Could Jesus have done it without Ananias? Absolutely. Jesus can do whatever he wants. But I want you to understand something that's really, really important for every single one of us in this room. Even those of you who are guests here today. God wants people involved in our choice, in our decision to follow Jesus. And this idea that people can do it on their own, that, you know, in a prayer that they can invite Jesus in their heart, that's a great step in the right direction, but it is not, it is not the way that God has chosen to complete the step of conversion. In fact, it says here, right here, it says, you know, that, that if you look back, he got up and was baptized. You know, you can't baptize yourself. I've heard stories, but that's not the way it works. Someone has to baptize you. You even need someone to baptize you. It's a point of humility where you realize, I cannot do this by myself. I need people to sit with me. I need people to help me. I need people all around me. 
So really, conversion is a team sport. Can you really win souls without being a team? Today in the Super Bowl, there's no way the champions are going to win without playing as a team. And you can tell right away if they're fighting and not getting along and if some guy's got a big head and a big ego and he thinks it's all about him, boom, here we go. They're going to fall. But if they come together as a unit and they realize you're just as important, I mean, the kink, the kicker, skinny guy, you know, he's there for two seconds in and out, he could win the game. He's vital. Everybody, the water boy is important in a team sport. He makes sure that everybody's, it requires a connection. This is the way God chooses to work. So I, I, I got to ask you, are, are you ready to be Ananias? That God will use you. You may not be Saul turned converted to Paul, the most powerful and effective apostle in the history of the New Testament. You may not be him, but you could help him. Right? But what it was needed by Ananias, a willing spirit to say, yeah, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll sit with anybody. In fact, if I need to change my schedule, because obviously he had to change his schedule, he probably had a, you know, a schedule that he was going to do that day, and God said, no, no, you're going to go to this street, you got your navigational system out, and I want you to go to this house on State Street, and you're going to study with this guy. You're going to teach him more. Because I've only given them some, you're going to give them the rest. And you're going to do it because you're going to be the one that connects with him and brings him to faith. Let me ask you, brother, sister, member of our church, are you ready to make a connection? So you go, what makes a church the body of Christ is when all the fingers and toes are working. And we all have the same heart. I want to help somebody. Because I got helped, I want to help somebody. Amen. I want to sit down with somebody and I want to, I want to go to my neighbor's house and, and sit with them and talk with them. And then if the Lord gives me the opportunity, I want to study the Bible with them. Right. I got to say one more thing. You know, to, to some of you who are guests here, are you ready to be Saul? Are you ready to turn yourself in? What more does God have to do to get you to turn yourself in? Are you ready to just say, hey, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to resist. I don't want to fight. I don't want to be this independent person. See, that's one of the dangers of our world today is people are super independent. And they think that social media is going to make the connection. It will not. It will not, and it does not. Loneliness is at an all-time high right now. It requires a personal connection. And I'm talking about, you know, Ananias too, because brothers and sisters, my concern for some of you, you're, you're way out there doing it on your own, and you, you think that you've got it. You don't need group. You don't need church. You, you know, maybe once in a while, but you got it. Mm -mm. You're hurting the team by not playing as a team member. See, you're, you're hindering the work of God. See, because we're our best when we work together, when every part of the body works together. I need people. I need my group. I, got, I want you guys to know that. I need my group. 
And I have a few of them. But this whole idea of making room, next week we're going to begin having two services. Are you ready for that? We're here all together. And basically we're going to go and split us in half. And half of us are going to become becoming at what time? 9 a.m. And the other half are going to be coming? 11. If you're a guest here, this is how it's going to be starting next week. 9 and 11. Students, do you guys know what time you're coming to church? What time are you coming to church? There's not a lot of conviction right there. Does anybody not know who's a member of our church? Does anybody who's a member of our church not know what service time you're going? Don't raise your hand. I'm just asking. If you do not, you need to speak with your group leader. And if you're not in a group, mm. we, got, we got to have a conversation. When's this going to start? Next week? How's it going to know? How will you know which service to attend by your community group and where you live? What's the real reason we're doing this? What's the real reason we can do this? So we can be Ananias. See, there's room for us to sit in here, but there's not room for us to park out there. And we had people, I want you to imagine you coming to church. It's your, it's your Saul moment, and somebody invited you to church, and there's things going on in your life, and you want to go to church. You get up early, you get dressed, and you drive from Whittier. Drive all the way from Whittier. And you drive around the parking lot. There's no, there's no parking attendance in the parking lot to tell you where to park, and there's no place to park. What do you do? That's what happened. We have people drive away. Can't have that happen. See, because we're in this for Jesus, and we want people to get in a right relationship with Jesus. So let's talk about this whole idea of being a fair-weather follower. A fair-weather follower. A fair-weather friend means when the weather's right, they're your friend. When the weather's not right, guess what? A fair-weather follower means that I'll be a follower of Jesus when the weather's right, but when the weather's not right, guess what? I want to encourage all of us, all of us, because it's going to be smaller. And some of you are going to go, like, you know, go into, and you're going to be, oh my gosh, this is so much smaller. Where is everyone? It's going to be different. It's going to be like a mission church. It's a mission team. It's smaller. And, and to be here earlier, I saw some improvement. Improvement's always appreciated. I know some of you made a big effort. Let's keep on going. Be here early. Okay? Get your kids checked in early. Be flexible and willing to serve. You know, we need some more people still to help with the audiovisual team. I know some of you have got the skills to do that. Okay? Because Steve doesn't need to be back there in both services. Give the guy a break. Right, Steve? Sit with somebody. You know, we got to do away with these huge gaps. Okay? we got to sit together. And the best way to do that is if everybody moves to the center. Well, I like sitting in the aisle. See, that's the problem. I like an aisle seat. See, this isn't, you know, the airlines. This is the church of Jesus Christ, and you sit where you need to sit because somebody wants to sit next to you. And it's so much better when you can look to the person and, 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 and you can look to them, and we do this thing, right? We do it a lot. Hey, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, will you sit with me? 
And we do that a lot. But what if you turn to the person next to you and there's nobody there? And the person next to you over here, they're looking the other way and they're like, hey. <laughs> Number four, it's all about connecting people to Jesus. And this is my most serious point. Guys, this can make all the difference. And it takes, it's not just about coming to church. It's about coming to group. It's about you going into people's houses. It's all of that. We've got to be Ananias. And number, number, number five here is, what would Ananias say about two services? Stop and think about that. Well, you know what? It's really early. I, I mean, I got a 9 a.m. service. It's so early, and I go to get up early every, all day, all week. And man, so early. Can I have a day, Mike? Just a day to rest in. I'll come to the 11. <laughs> Would Ananias say that? No, he'd say, man, what about I miss my friends? And I've heard it, guys. I've heard it. I've gotten earfuls of it, and I appreciate all of it. <laughs> but the mission of Jesus trumps all of our personal windows and all of our personal priorities and things. It's all about helping people. If people are dying for Jesus today and we're unwilling to, to, to rearrange our schedule to be at a service, I mean, really? Do you know that 2016 was the worst year in 25 years for Christians around the world? 90,000 Christians were assassinated last year for their faith. What if you went to church in Africa and you run the risk in Africa that if you go to church, it's highly likely there's going to be a bomb Brother from Lagos, Nigeria, a good friend of mine, Chris, was telling me about things that were happening in Nigeria, that there were many bombings in Lagos, Nigeria. It's the number one hot spot for Christians being persecuted. Guys, come on, let's get a grip. We're not running a business. I just want to make sure you understand. We are not running a business. We're running the kingdom of God, the church of Christ. We need to pull back the curtains and see what this is all about. People need Jesus. And this is the high point. Listen, listen. I know there's some people you know that are hard cases. And you say, he'll never, she'll never, they'll never become Christians. No way. If Jesus can turn the fiercest opponent, a terrorist, if he can turn the, the fiercest opponent into his most willing servant, he has the ability to save anyone. Guess what my reputation in my family was? Least open. Least open. This changes everything. So this is the one thing I don't want you to pray for this week. Pray for your faith to grow every day. Pray for each other's faith to grow. And now we're going to take the communion. Look at what Paul says about himself after he's converted. I thank Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was a, once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown 
Say it with me. Mercy. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How did he feel this faith and love? How did he feel it? By the brotherhood. From the Lord, but it's all from the brotherhood. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Save who? Who are you? Who am I? We're sinners. Jesus came for us. There's a lot of sinners out there. You know it, right? You complain about them a lot. Let's help them. Let's help a Saul become a Paul. Who I, who is he? I'm the worst. Let's help the worst. And God's knocking on their door, guys. And all it takes is you and I to make a connection. Will you sit with me? Will you sit with me? Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We beg you in the name of Jesus to open wide our hearts. I pray for the people who are guests here today, Father, that you'll help them to understand you want a personal relationship with them. And you're inviting them into that relationship. Help them not to put you off, God. I remember when I did, and Father, I'm thankful you were patient and persistent, but I don't want to test your patience and your persistence. Please help us. I pray also for all of us that have decided to follow Jesus, that we will not be resistant, but we will be Ananias and just go. Thank you for Jesus pouring out everything for us so we can follow him. We pray, God, that your grace will pour out on us today. We love you. We thank you. We lift up his body and his blood right now as we take the communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.